My name is Erin Weideman, and you are listening to Heroes for Her. This series features candid conversations with real women who strive to balance their professional acumen with their personal values. Join me as I interview positive female role models who are working hard, loving others, and inspiring the next generation of girls to serve their unique purpose. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Heroes for Her. My guest is the incomparable uh, woman and my dear friend, Mana Co. Mana is a visionary. She is the CEO and founder of several companies and a strategic partner to many others. She has been speaking internationally for decades, sharing her passion to teach, stretch, and equip others to live out their gifts in a world that is hungry for authentic, honorable, and meaningful leadership and relationships. With almost 30 years of entrepreneurial experience, she has worked with hundreds of different businesses, organizations, and guided even more individuals into seeking personal excellence. It is her passion to help people thrive in their calling, live extraordinary lives, prosper through chaos, be a forerunner with unseen opportunities, I love that, lead under pressure, and deliver results. She lives in San Diego with her family. Mana, welcome to Hear Us For Her. Thank you so much. It's an honor, truly, to be here with you. So, Mana, I adore you, and I know so much about your experiences and just spending time together with you, you know, off the mic, but your life's journey really has taken you a lot of interesting um, and challenging places. Will you talk a little bit about how you ended up in San Diego? <laughs> the funny answer is some guy. Um, but uh, I basically was wooed to leave my home and family and business and to start a new life here in San Diego because of the promise to be able to impact others more. And so um, it, actually on April 10th, uh, this year, it'll be 20 years since I left Vancouver, Canada, which was my home. And I've loved it here. This is so much my home now. And I am so grateful for the opportunity to be able to stretch even more and to speak into people's lives. So you grew up in Canada. You were born in Canada. Will you talk a little bit about um, just your early life experiences, family upbringing, and just give people a little insight into who you are as a person from those younger years? Absolutely. I actually was born in Hong Kong and I moved to Vancouver, Canada when I was about five and a half. And uh, growing up in the 60s was a very interesting time. Things are very provincial back then. It was a very wonder bred, a very appropriate world. And there wasn't a lot of expansion or expansive thought. Women were, girls were taught to be a secretary possibly a teacher, and at most a nurse. Uh, if you were an entrepreneur, you were going to step into a family business. It's typically a restaurant or a dry cleaner or something like that. Thinking big was not really a part of my life. And then, of course, uh, coming from Hong Kong, there was a lot of racism. That was brutal. And I didn't know. I didn't know I was different. I just... I just didn't know until it was made abundantly clear that I was not liked, not welcomed, and in fact hated so much that um, uh, boys and girls were willing to beat me up 
just because I look different. And it was so sad because that was something I couldn't change. You know, I couldn't change the color of my skin or, or the color of my hair in those days. I can now. <laughs> but uh, back then, I, as a little kid, no. You know, but if you could tell me that I, I wasn't nice, I, I could do something about it. I could learn to be nicer. If you told me I wasn't smart, I, I could try harder. But to tell me that you didn't like me because of the way I looked, because my skin color was different, that's nothing I could do. So that was very, very difficult. And then growing up Asian, we have a lot of cultural standards and uh, ways of being that's in our DNA. So this one got me into a lot of trouble. Uh, on the one hand, we were to always honor those around us. And while that in and of itself is not bad, uh, it was a blanket statement that left for no opportunity for wisdom, discernment, uh, questioning, or the, even the opportunity to say no. We had to honor those who are older than us. We had to honor those with um, higher education and titles. And we just had to honor everybody. And so speaking up, saying no, um, showing disrespect was um, saying no was like showing disrespect. And so I never knew my voice. I never knew that it was okay to say no. I never knew it was okay to say that hurts. I never knew that to say um, that's inappropriate and you've just violated me. You know, I, I, I didn't know those things. So growing up uh, as a young woman, that just carried with me. Um, and I just didn't know any better until much, much later in my 40s, unfortunately, when I started to play around with the idea that no is a complete sentence, and no is valid, and no is good. And so that's when I was really um, very much more uh, passionate about helping other women, especially in young girls, to say no and um, and and. And that their dignity and that their selfhood, their personhood was still a good and, and bright thing. Um, that saying no did not mean shame on them, uh, but that it was a sign of self-honor. Honor to others was always what I thought honor meant. I never knew that self-honor was even a possibility until much, much later when I, I had to learn it the hard way. So, yeah. Where, but oh, that's sorry, okay. Where, uh, the, my next question just leads into the next sort of um, question to, to let you answer. Um, where did, I mean, so these feelings that you were having, right, and the, the inability to do certain things and feeling trapped by, by cultural standards and lots of, different, lots of different struggles that you were having, where did your faith play into that? Like, were you a believer at that time? Or did you have a relationship with God? And how did that relationship sort of factor into those, those feelings? Oh, my gosh, that is such a great question. I will say that my earliest memory, and I will tell you that it's, was at the age of one. And I know that because I have memories of my first birthday and certain things that I would, uh, that I was validated by family members. It was not something that they ever told me. And then I said, I remember this, I remember this. And they said, how did you know that? And then it was again, validated by photos. So 
my first memory was speaking to God. And what, as soon as I could crawl and walk, I crawled to this huge picture window at my grandparents, my maternal grandparents' home, and they raised me for a big part of my early childhood. And I, I crawled up and I, I forced, uh, held myself up and steadied myself against this window. And I looked out to what was called Lion Rock Mountain. And it was called that because it, it looked like a lion in repose, just resting. And, and I said, God, I know you live there. I know you live there and I want to be with you. So every day I would go and I would speak to that mountain that was the lion, and little did I know it was later on that it would be the lion of the tribe of Judah that would represent Jesus, but um, I always knew God existed. I don't know how I knew that, but I just did. So I would talk to God. I would have conversations with him. He would show me things, and so it was a very beautiful, beautiful relationship that I had with him, and one that um, I share in my book that it was instrumental in how he saved me from so many, so many worse things, worser fates. So, um, worse fates rather. And, uh, so yeah, he, he was always in my life. He was always, always in my life. See, I think that's important to mention as you kind of walk us through where your experiences and your journey has taken you because you, so you start off with this, you, you feel the presence of God, you know that he's there, you believe that he exists, you're talking to him. I mean, even as a young, young person, and then some of these challenges and conflicts and struggles are introduced and you've got to kind of you know, juggle that and deal with both simultaneously. So my next question is, how have you seen your faith change and grow over these last several years when here you started this relationship with God and then these conflicts are introduced? Like, what have you seen about your own faith that has changed or expanded or, you know, maybe there were points of struggle over these last several years? What does that look like? That's awesome. Uh, thank you. That's a great question. As a little girl, he would show himself mightily to me on two very important occasions when I tested him. And he did show up. Uh, but then, as you said, you know, life happens and you pray, but you don't see him tangibly. He's not like with skin on. And unfortunately, I had a situation uh, where I was not I was not able to be helped um, as a little girl. And um, so it became very difficult for me to talk to God because I didn't see him interceding in, t in certain situations. Um, and it wasn't until in my 20s when I was reintroduced to him at a very sweet innocent, just a, a very wholesome, small, small church. And I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I was born again. And it was so powerful. But my boyfriend at that time uh, did not believe in God and did not believe that um, there was such a thing as Holy Spirit, much less, much less, um, you know, that he was with us and all of this. And I will never forget, uh, one day we were driving in the car and um, I had Amy Grant's music on, uh, Sing Your Praises to the Lord. And the entire intro is a piano piece um, uh, from a classical piece. 
And he knew I loved playing the piano. So he enjoyed that at first. But it, right after that intro piano music, it, she goes right into sing your praises to the Lord. And he goes, what the H is this? <laughs> and he screamed at me. And I remember looking out the window to my right on West 41st Avenue at a little clothing store. And I said, Lord, he, uh, I'm going to lose him. And I said, um, I don't think he'll wait for me, but I know you will. Will you wait for me? And so I consciously decided to put God on the side while I went after this man. It was the stupidest mistake of my life because that sent me into a whole different realm. And while I knew God, I didn't make godly decisions. And that is, that is something that I will have to live with. But the good news is I share it now with others so they don't have to walk down that smelly pipe like I did. And so I say, never choose a man over God. Never choose a person over God. Choose God and he will reveal all the things that you need to know. And he will bring all the right people that needs to be in your life. And while some things don't make sense and while you don't see God with skin on, if you are just patient enough, he will reveal himself to you in ways that are even bigger than God with skin on. There will be things that are so magical and mysterious, the alchemy of it all will literally leave you with your mouth completely hanging open. It's just literally jaw-dropping. So always choose God. Always choose God. And so my faith has grown and it's matured even to this day where I'm, I've, he's blessed me with many sort of spiritual gifts, but I am still tested and my patience is still tested and my, 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 my level of faith in believing is still tested. And what is the difference? There's always the tension. What is the difference between faith and what is the tension between, you know, patience? What is the difference? You know, there's always a tension. Uh, do you believe? And is this your dream? Am I being, um, am I working hard enough or is this striving? And um, is this rest and I'm being lazy? These are the tensions that we as women and men, you know, have to balance and walk through. And I think balance is a noun. It's not a verb. It, it, it's called tension. And, and so sometimes we're on one side and sometimes we're on the other. And the thing about honor is that it's not wrong and it's not shameful when we're on one side more than the other at times. We're just, we're just going to be doing this dance of back and forth. So um, what I've learned in my faith is that there will always be tension. And it's okay. It's okay. That's part of the journey. I, I love hearing you say that too. And I think, um, you know, it speaks to a lot of the struggles we have as, as parents. There's a lot of parents that listen to the show. But when we're thinking about, um, you know, this next generation and what they're having to deal with, what you, what you brought up a moment ago about not just believing in God, but making godly decisions. Like, we, we're the ones that have to guide our children through those decisions, yes. right? So my, I guess my next question is, so once you, and God is so faithful, it's so cool to like hear, I can hear like the way God just poured his grace out on you and like knowing where you are now, even though you made that decision not to follow him, to set him aside, you know, as we, as yeah. we all make mistakes in our youth and, and continue to make mistakes well into adulthood, how have you seen God work that you know, that experience where you, you set him aside, you said, I'm going to make this, this guy more important than God for this season in my life. 
how did he work that negative experience for good in your life as, you know, as you look back and kind of see, you know, his timing throughout the rest of the years that went on? Oh, my gosh. Thank you. That is another great question. And God is so faithful. Well, that choice led me into all sorts of crazy other things and worldly experiences and the new age. And I learned so much about the new age, um, but there was always something missing. And so, um, very long story short, I was able, through understanding at the very beginning, what the true plumb line of love is, who God really is, as I was making choices as an adult that was outside of his plan for me, I could see the the plumb line of truth, and I could see what was counterfeit. Because I knew what was true, I knew what was false. And so I was able to always test what was brought before me along the plumb line of truth. And I was able to say, oh, no, wait, no, that's not right. Not that's not right. Could I have learned faster in some things? Yes. But I think what he has allowed me to go through um, and much of the experiences were at my own hands. It wasn't that God didn't save me. It wasn't that God wasn't there for me. Where was God? I hear that so much. But I made the decisions. Those were the results and the consequences of those choices. And what God has allowed in his amazing love was for me to experience those consequences so that I can turn it around as wisdom, so I could turn it around as a platform, so I could turn it around as a foundation where other people can stand on my shoulders and go, okay, that's not right, this is wrong, this is where truth is, and um, and and I can have such boldness now to speak. I'm not afraid of man as much as I used to be. I used to so want their validation, literally man, men, and women. And I can now say with absolute confidence and assurance that I, I care more about the audience of one then I care about what social media says, what uh, a group or a clique would say. It's okay that I'm not liked. In fact, um, it's probably better that some people don't like me because I don't want them to like me because that means they I'm more like them. And it's okay to set ourselves apart. In these very interesting times, it is the thing to be, it is wiser to set yourself apart than to blend in. And so there's that tension again. While we're supposed to be everything for every man and to meet them where they're at, we have to know who we are well enough so that we don't, uh, we can set ourselves apart and, and not um, be lost in the crowd. So people are looking for those, we're, they're looking for the Churchills. So a few years ago, I was really compelled to study Churchill. And I really felt like this is the time when we are going to have to call on that Churchill anointing, for lack of a better term, when the whole world goes against you, when even those of your closest friends, your colleagues will laugh at you, mock at you, and will go against you. But you know what is right. And for you to do that, you put fear into Hitler himself. Like Churchill was the only man that Hitler feared, the only man. And that is something 
That is something. So while the world and our friends are against us, if the enemy is afraid of us, that is a better sign than anything else. You know, and we will get friendly fire. We will get friendly fire. But it doesn't matter right now. It's focusing on what the one, the one says and doing it with all our best and with all our heart and with all our strength and with all our mind. This is a time now, the clarion call to trumpet the bravery and the courage, especially of women, young women. I never had a mom to speak into my life. I never had someone to tell me this was wrong, this is sacred, this is good, and that is bad. I never had that. But this is where my passion is now, to speak to young women, to speak to, of, of all ages. I'm 55, so anyone younger than me is a young woman. And so I want, my passion is don't go there. Don't go there. Don't do this. Please trust me. Trust me. And I was, I, I, I put that, my book together so that people can look at it and say, okay, this resonates with me. I didn't know you did this because this is where I'm at. I, I didn't know that you, you could speak to this, but okay, that's where I'm at. I mean, I, uh, marriages, uh, long-term relationships, uh, girlfriends, businesses. I speak to all aspects of making poor decisions because I did not value myself enough. And so my, my clarion call now is to be the Churchills of this era. Era, And interestingly now, the Churchill movie is out, which I think is okay, but, you know, I, I want my mentor, my my. Uh, to be casted in a better light, but anyways, he—it's a good movie to the degree that he, you you understand what he was going up against. Um, but we we all are all going up against something, uh, and it's different for a stay-at-home mom who's homeschooling her child than it is someone who's in the tech field, than it is someone who's in medicine, than it is someone who's an attorney, than it is someone who's a teacher. We all have our own front lines, but. Uh, stay the course and do not be afraid of standing up against the enemy because in due season we will reap and there are so many more watching us than we can imagine. And what we do in this generation will be more important than we can imagine. There's a thousand generations ahead of us if the Lord tarries uh, that will benefit if we but stand our ground. That's so good. I And you allude to you know, the unique roles that God's created for all of us. And, and they're so different and so unique, but the mission is the same. And, and I want to, yes. you know, you've been doing that work that he's called you to, like you've written articles and you're developing curricula and, you know, all the books. And I want to focus a little bit on the book you just mentioned. It's your autobiographical novel. It's called Made for More. And you published it just a few years ago. But I think the message there is so powerful and will speak so strongly to the listeners of our show. I wanted to ask you, was it hard to turn your story into this type of a book? You know, when I, I, when I was 14 and I had left my mother and my stepdad and I'd moved to my dad's, um, he had, he lived in an apartment and across the, the street was a little grassy knoll. And I remember lying there after just unpacking and just settling in. And I went, oh boy, I said, God, this is bad. This is really, really bad. And I heard uh, indisputably, him say, your life is going to reach millions and you will speak 
to the multitudes. And I thought, you're crazy. This is so bad. Who wants to hear about my life? Well, every decade, somebody said to me, are you writing this down? You need to write this down. And when I was in my 40s, someone who was interviewing me to be a keynote speaker for their startup company um, ended up, very long story short, wanting to to write my book for me, pay for all of it and publish it. But then he also wanted the rights for it. And I said, no, because I knew, I knew the Lord was going to have me write my story because he told me. Um, so it was always in my, in my spirit, but I didn't know when and until I turned 50. When I turned 50, he said to me, it's time. And I said, no, I'm not doing this. It's it's bad. There's nothing. And I said, and who wants to read my story? I, like, I'm not Bill Gates. I'm not Melinda Gates. I'm not Malalia. I haven't saved women. I haven't started a foundation. I don't have a Nobel Peace Prize. I don't have a million, multi-million dollar company. In fact, you took everything away from me. I'm starting over. And long story short, two, two years of arguing with him, I was circling around, pacing, pacing, pacing. And in the kitchen, he stopped me and he said, this is not about you. And I had no rebuttal for that. So I got my laptop and I started writing. And it ended up with a thousand pages. Very long story short, Made for More is an autobiography, my autobiography, um, if about 600 pages from beginning to end with pictures, everything else. So, And how he showed me how to write it was nothing less than ho- amazing and and awesome in itself. He told me how to write it. And he basically dictated everything to me. And that novel was written in eight months. That and it was barely edited. I had um, the editors looked at it, the first one, and said, have you written novels before? I said, no. And goes, really? And he said, no, never. I've written website material, curricula, manuals, and and, uh, they said, never a novel. I said, no. And he goes, this is really good. And it's not your standard novel at 500 pages. No, I'm holding it. It's so heavy, but it's it's like, no, it's amazing. (laughs) And he's, but she said, let's just, let's just make this as best as we can because your story needs to be told. Well, I got it back and I thought, okay, great, but I didn't believe her. So I hired another editor and she said basically the same thing. I hired four editors to go through this because I thought not all of them can say this is that good, but four editors later, way too much money spent later and 600 pages later, it is in 12 countries uh, from, uh, you know, Canada, U.S., North America, U.K., all the English-speaking uh, countries, but also women who ha- are in Africa and tribes uh, have my book. And so it's it's reaching the multitudes. The fastest reader emailed me, and uh, she read it in 27 hours. She literally did not go to sleep. She could not put it down. Most people have said they read it within a few days or a week. Um, a lot of people said that they read it within a month. And then I don't I don't know. You know, obviously there's people that have started it and couldn't didn't finish it, but I don't know. They haven't told me. But uh, this is a a book for every woman at every stage uh, that has gone through anything because the Lord has allowed me to go through many different things so that I could speak over it, have authority over it, and bless those who are walking through it now. Um, So, yeah, it's pretty powerful. 
And it's a, it's a fun read. And the Lord gets all the credit because he showed me how to put it in a novel so that it's not this boring chronological list of historical facts. It's, it's a story. So good. I, um, I'm wondering, you know, and you talked about how, you know, you sat down to write and God spoke to you and gave you what you needed to write it. And it sounds like, you know, I can picture you sitting at a chair in front of a computer um, and it sounds so simple the way you described it. But I'm wondering, did you face any significant challenges during that process? Or did you just sit down? You felt like God spoke to you. You put it, you put it onto paper and it was done. Yes. Yes and no. There were many segments where he just goes, say this, say that. He showed me how to write dialogue. He showed me how to write dialogue in such a way that it would be quotable. And so that these are poignant things that people would be able to take and, and quote because it's it's got to be that impactful. He did all that. When I got to the difficult parts, chapter five especially, I cried like a baby because while he has healed me, I'd seen counselors, I'd done deliverance, like, you know, anything that I could have done to heal, I have done, but reliving it and, 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 and reliving it in a way that I can share it, that does not defile the reader, but honors their process and then teaches them the lesson and then brings them out in such a way that they they go unscathed. That was that was not easy, and I I I had more care for the reader in those moments than I I I can explain. But Holy Spirit walked me through it. In chapter five, I that probably took me a month to write. No, probably two to three weeks, and I cried throughout most of it. I cried throughout most of it. Um, uh, that was that was me leaving my mother and my 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 stepdad. But the hardest thing was leaving my brother for a short season. Um, and uh, I I was we were we are still very close. Um, but he was he was everything to me. But I had to leave. Otherwise, I didn't know if I was going to die, be insane, or paralyzed. So it was one of those things, um, you know, those defining moments where you ha you have to make a decision. And thank God, and I prayed that my brother would be okay and he would be cared for. And thank God, very, very shortly after, within I think even a month, my brother had moved out and was back uh, with me. So, but it was not easy. It was not easy. It was a very painful moment um, of my life, a painful time, but the Lord wrote it all. And yes, there were times when it was boom, done, you know, and th here's a funny title for it. Uh, 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 there's one, <laughs> he gave me movie titles. He, he gave me song titles. There was one section when I was getting married, he goes, it's a uh, it's a nice day to have a white wedding, but I said a black wedding because all my my bridesmaids in those days, you don't do this. Now it's very popular to do whatever you want, but I had everybody dressed in black and they had calla lilies and they looked like they were at a funeral. <laughs> and, um, and then I another section title is Fifty Shades of Cray and instead of Fifty Shades of Grey, but it just, you know, and so there's some levity to it all. Um, and that's how the Lord did it. He showed me how to, to through the section titles, to bring some a current 
time relational um, relevant material so that it could be present, it could be relatable, and it's there's some levity to it. But then through the conversation with Leah, um, who's my hospice uh, patient that I'm working with, we go into the, to the issue, to the, the situation, to the drama, to the lesson, and then how I bring them back out. And so, and then we have another section. So it's it's not one big heavy thing, but it's different sections of lessons, different sections of learning, and different. Yeah, and it's 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 levity. There's levity to it, and then the, but there's depth. So the Lord did it. The Lord did it. What did you enjoy most about about writing this particular book? Of all the books, this one was the most meaningful because it wasn't something I thought I had to do. Like all the other books that I've written were thoughts, things that I thought would be nice, it would be good, or I should do it. This one was totally God. And I knew that my life would not be in vain. And while I'm not 80 and I'm not at the end of my life, and while I haven't had a million-dollar company yet, and I haven't um, saved millions of people and helped women read around the world yet, um, this one I know will set people free. The emails that I've gotten from people around the world, its it makes all the difference uh, to me. And so it's not just that you write it and one person will will be blessed. I know that the Lord's plan, that the multitudes will be reached through this. Um, this makes me so happy. And the, the funnest part, truly, was watching how God dictated this to me in certain places, especially chapter 14. It The ending is so wholesome. It's so beautiful. It can only be God, how he tied it all in together. And the funnest part, is the afterword, which um, I didn't write at the end. I actually wrote halfway in between. But that one I wrote, it took less than an hour to write, and it never had to be edited. All the editors read it, never touched a thing. And it was it's so good, but it's perfect as the afterword. And it's so meaningful once you read all of it. And um, it's, it's just a beautiful kiss from heaven. Well, I love hearing you share about it and um, having read it and talked to you about it a couple of times. It's so nice to hear in your own words what it's meant to you and what you know God is going to do through your story because it's so powerful. I um, can't believe we have to wrap up. See how fast that goes? Yes, it does. Um, At the end of each episode, Mana, we do something. uh, It's three rapid fire questions and it's called the scoop. Are you ready? Okay. 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 So the first question is obviously on this podcast, it's called Heroes for Her. We love heroes. When you were a little girl, who was your hero? I had several. I had Bewitched because uh, that's all we had on TV in those days. And I loved her because she used everything that she had for good. And no matter what was going on around her, she was, um, she had the self-discipline when not to use her gifts, and she had the discipline to know when to use her gifts. So she was my hero. Um, the next hero was Bugs Bunny. 
I loved him because he could be a little cheeky, but he was so smart and um, he always found a way to get out of difficult situations. Uh, and so I loved, I loved that. And he, he had, he and Daffy Duck uh, coined this phrase, joyful and free, joyful and free. And little did I know that that would be my mantra for many, for the rest of my life. And it wasn't until later on in my 40s when I really studied Isaiah 60 and 61 that that would, was why I'm made, to, set, to bring oil of joy for mourning and to set the captives free. Oh, that's such a good word. And it leads me to my second question, which is, what is a piece of advice you've received that has impacted your life in a powerful way? Oh, there's so many. But I would... I would, well, I would say this in Galatians 6.9. Do not grow weary in doing good because in due season you will reap if you do not lose hope. And I would say that, you know, we live in a world that has deceived us into thinking everything comes now. And that's not true. You don't birth a baby like in the soap operas, in one show. It comes after nine months. And they don't grow up to be an adult in a season. You know, things don't happen instantaneously. And we have to allow our maturity and things to unfold in time. So do not grow weary. And just because you don't see the fruit just immediately, it doesn't mean you're not a good tree. And it doesn't mean your your fruit isn't sweet. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to provide shelter for others. Just be patient and keep trusting the Lord. Last question. If you could have a secret superpower, what would it be? It would be mind control. It would be mind control. <laughs> I, I, I love you. <laughs> I know. I would instantly deposit a Bible verse in somebody's head. Oh, that's oh, that's such um, a good one. <laughs> like someone struggling and, needs a and, word, and you're like, I'll just pop that right in there. Yes. And so that's if so somebody smart. is going cray-cray on somebody <laughs> and getting all jealous and speaking word curses, I just like pop a couple of verses right in their head. And, um, and that, you know, like, and to the point where... It is transforming their mind, renewing their mind, and they don't have a choice. They can no longer say and do what they were thinking of doing, what the flesh was doing. They have it's mind control with Bible verses, and that they, they just they cannot escape it. And um, and the yeah, that's what I would do. <laughs> it sounds scary and awesome at the same time. <laughs> yes, yeah. Mana. Um, as we wrap up, where is the best place for people to connect with you online and find out more about what you're doing? Thank you. It's probably our website, manaforlife.com. So it's Emma and Mary, A, N as in Nancy, N as in Nancy, A, Mana for life, F O R L I F E.com. And then uh, we're on Facebook, uh, Instagram. And um, so, yeah, that those, those three places awesome. uh, the website, Facebook, and Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, my sweet friend. Thank you for this incredible opportunity and may God bless you and continue to just use you mightily for the kingdom. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed our conversation, please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, thoughts about the episode or ideas about how we can come together and support our girls, we would absolutely love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at BibleBells.com. Just let